Welcome to the PCTR Podcast. I'm Robbie Itterberg, Senior Pastor. I want to thank you for listening today. We hope that you hear from God and that this podcast encourages you in your faith journey. You can connect with us on social at facebook.com slash PCTRNJ or our Instagram handle, PCTRNJ. Or you can find more information or resources at PCTR.org. Have a great day. Peace. If we haven't had the chance to meet, my name is Christian. I'm one of the pastors here. Our other pastor is actually away this weekend. He was away last weekend, uh, this upcoming week, to fulfill the re- residency requirement for his Doctor of Ministry program. And I invite you to keep him in your prayers as he is um, uh, interacting with helpful information and thinking about ministry and philosophy of ministry and, and lots of different ideas. I'm sure it's quite exhausting, and so your prayers, I'm sure, would be much appreciated. But today, we are concluding our sermon series that we've been in for a while. The sermon series is called Winning, Seven Messages on Overcoming. And w- For this sermon series, we've actually been looking at the seven letters to the churches in the book of Revelation and found in chapters 2 and 3. There are these letters that uh, speak into a variety of different situations. And um, as we look at them and look over their shoulder as they receive these letters, we can see how they speak into our own lives as a church and as individuals. And we can hear through it words of encouragement and affirmation, as well as rebuke and correction, and even words of warning. And through all of this is an invitation to overcome, to to actually um, boldly move forward and leave the ways that we've been doing and move into the way of Christ that much more. And in doing so, we, in the terms of the sermon series, overcome and win in Christ. And so we're going to continue to look at that, but I have uh, a very different, not as uh, heavenly-minded, but a a worldly way of winning that I want to share with you, but it'll it'll tie in, trust me. I have an image for you that I want to show you, and it is that of a, a drinking fountain in the town of Ashland, Oregon. I grew up on the West Coast, and this huge block of uh, granite is from southern Oregon, and there are actually eight drinking fountains there, and this was put up in the 1920s. In the 1920s, there was this saying that as Lithia water flows, Ashland grows, and Ashland is the town. Lithia water is this mineral water. There was a spring nearby, and they piped it a few miles, and there was this water, and so I remember spending time there with my family, and we would sometimes have guests that would come, and what was... um, what we thought was humorous is that we had found out that this mineral water was actually quite pungent. Uh, It was actually quite hard to drink. And we would invite our friends to come and have a drink of lithia water, but there was almost always an immediate reaction just to spit it out. (laughs) And I guess it was a little practical joke, um, but in in that sense, we had a laugh. Um, there was a, a different uh, city water drinking fountain nearby to kind of cleanse the palate. But it's this image of revulsion at something um, so pungent is an image that we have in this letter. 
to Laodicea. And you'll see how that plays out. And this is a tough letter. We've had some, uh, some good letters to the church like in Philadelphia where there was really good things to be said. Um, Sardis that I preached about a few weeks ago was kind of a mixed bag. Here in Laodicea, it's a tough letter. In all of these cases, it's, there's really nothing good to say about Laodicea. And so, without delaying, let's just go ahead and take a look at our passage. Again, it comes to us from Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. Listen for God's word for us today. The angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and a salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline so be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with the Father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. We ask that your Holy Spirit would be here and open it up to us, that we would come to hear you more and more. Lord, add to what is about to be said here, that we might know you and love you, and that we would be able to walk in your ways. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. I do think it's ironic, even deliciously ironic, that we're talking about this passage. It just happened to line up that we have this passage from Revelation chapter 3 on the, on the very day that we're doing baptisms. Because I'll tell you, you don't want hot water. You don't want cold water here. You actually want lukewarm water, um, right? It's like bathing a, a child. You, you, you don't want an either extreme. You want something that's comfortable. But here in this passage, we have a very different image of lukewarm and that we want something that is uh, very different than lukewarm. But uh, before we get to that, I want to just address the, the names of Jesus that we have in these letters. So you, you could actually do a whole study of who Jesus is through the names in these letters, and we have two names here. The first is that of the Amen. Jesus is the Amen. And it's, amen is a Hebrew term, that, uh, the, uh, a term of confirmation. We say it at the end of our prayers. We pray and then we say amen to say that we confirm this, that we, we, um, we agree with what we have prayed. 
And this image is that Jesus is able to confirm what he has said and what he has done and what he has promised. And then there added to that is also that Jesus is faithful and true. Again, emphasizing the certainty that he can fulfill his promises. While others might struggle to fulfill their promises, Jesus is faithful and true. And so what we have here is Jesus at the complete opposite of the church in Laodicea. The the church of Laodicea is marked by a faux faith, a nominal faith, whereas Jesus is authentic and reliable. And before we unpack the the meaning of this passage more, I want to um, take a look at who Jesus is speaking to and this, this community of Laodicea. It's a very interesting place. Laodicea is a city that was sitting overlooking a valley, surrounded by mountains. And this valley was uh, very rich agriculturally, uh, but that's not the only advantage it had. But it did have one disadvantage. And that disadvantage is that it didn't have its own water source. It didn't have a spring. There were uh, other cities around that had water sources. One nearby actually had a mountain spring. Um, from the snow and the rain that would fall on the mountain, it would come down through an aquifer, and they had a cool spring with which to access. Another city nearby had warm springs, thermal springs, and water would be bubbling up and would be warm. But Laodicea was not similarly blessed, and they had to find a source miles away, and they created clay pipes, and they piped that miles to the city, but by the time it got there, it was lukewarm. And not only was it lukewarm, it was pungent. It was filled with minerals. And we can know this because some of those pipes those clay pipes still exist. And if you were to go to Laodicea today, you can actually see these pipes and they have tons and tons of mineral deposits in them. And it's a clear indication that the water was just overpoweringly pungent. And it was really not good for much. If you tried to boil the water to separate the water from the minerals, it would have this pungent smell. Or if you were to do something like try to cook vegetables in that water, it would, the vegetables and the food would take on that flavor and not be agreeable. It was not a great source of water. Additionally, additional background about the city of Laodicea is that in why they would stay in such a place. If they don't have water, what, what's the advantage here? Well, they were at the crossroads of uh, trade routes, um, key um, Uh, trade routes. There was a lot of things going. and The the main trade routes of that whole area and connected them to areas even beyond Asia Minor. This is all taking place in the nation uh, or in the the modern nation of Turkey. And um, being near those trade routes allowed them to partake and to be a part of that and they were able to build great wealth and it was a wealthy banking community. And they had, it was a beautiful city. Uh, We can still see the ruins of it. There were uh, creature comforts, and it was very comfortable other than the water. And they were so wealthy that when an earthquake came, we've heard about earthquakes in this area, when an earthquake came in 60 AD, they actually, and and that earthquake actually uh, 
uh, destroyed much of the city, um, the people themselves paid to rebuild it. They did not accept outside help. As a bold move, as a sign of their abilities and their wealth, they rebuilt the city themselves. And so they were very wealthy and they were used to their comfort. Two more quick things about them. In this valley that I was telling you about that was very fertile, there were uh, a special type of sheep, and those sheep had a soft raven black wool. And the people were known to wear this wool clothing from this place. And so they would walk around, and in fact, it almost was a symbol of being a Laodicean. You would see them uh, elsewhere, and you would see them in their black wool, and you would know that they were a Laodicean because they wore black clothing. And then the last thing about it is that um, on the outskirts of Laodicea was a medical school. And in that medical school, they used a local mineral, as we talked about, there's lots of minerals in this place, and they would make a salve that you could put on eyes that would heal certain ailments and that that would improve the sight. All this history, all this background is to say Jesus speaking into the situation, he does not have a superficial knowledge of this place and uses the things of this place to speak into their situation. And he does so powerfully. He says that he, he uses this image of water, that they are neither hot nor cold, but they are lukewarm. And the NIV says spit out. And in this particular case, the NIV translation has cleaned it up for us. It would be fair to translate this as even vomit out. It would be fair to say that, that it's so pungent, it's so awful that you would want to just throw it up. And that image is the image of what the people of Laodicea, their ministry, their faith is like that it's, it's repugnant to Jesus, just like their own water. Water that is hot or cold is more safe, and you want to be careful of lukewarm water. That's where things can grow quite a bit, um, and it, we can have a strong reaction. And Jesus is having a strong reaction to who they are and how they have conducted themselves in matters of faith. But not only that, into this banking community, this community that's very wealthy, um, a community that has the ability all on its own to rebuild itself, he says they need to buy gold refined by fire. Gold refined by fire is a symbol. Remember, Revelation speaks in symbols. And gold refined by fire is this idea that they need to have something that's pure and true and tested. Gold um, purified by fire, the idea is that the dross, the impurities fall away, that you would just have the pure thing. And in Scripture, and especially in Revelation, gold refined by fire is this idea of persecution, Um, that as we face difficult situations, we aren't, uh, we don't fold um, in on our faith, that we don't give it up. But the, instead, we actually stand up to be pure and to be true and to testify to what we truly are. And it seems that Jesus is saying by this that they need to stand up for their faith, to not just have a nominal faith, but to be authentic and to have integrity in it all. And then additionally, 
in contrast to their black wool clothing, he, he calls them to be transformed. And in yet another symbol, he says, wear these white clothing, the white clothing that's offered to you. I spoke about this when we spoke about Sardis. And Sardis, uh, they were encouraged to have the white clothing as well. Again, a symbol. Revelation very much speaks in symbols. The white clothing is the good deeds, the living out their faith. Um, it, it describes it as much at the end of Revelation, at the great wedding feast of the Lamb, the people are dressed in white clothes. And into all of this, Jesus, in this diagnosis of where they're at, of this church that has nominal faith, he calls them to earnestly repent, to with sincere and intense conviction, repent of how they have been, that they are objectionable in their actions, and they, are, they find themselves in a difficult spot. They've become comfortable in what they have, and too at ease and rely on material things. And this is an ongoing challenge. Complacency and overconfidence in material things is uh, an ongoing issue for the people of God and uh, and all people, really. It, It was an issue even in the Old Testament, the passage that we heard earlier out of Deuteronomy, when Jesus was guiding the people to the promised land. They had left Egypt. They were slaves. They were set free. They had to wander the wilderness for 40 years, but they finally came to the point that they were going to cross into the promised land. And there was these warnings that as you go into this place, don't become overconfident in material things. Previously, 40 years prior, spies had gone into the promised land, and they were afraid of the people there, but they said the land was amazing. The land was a land of flowing milk and honey. They actually brought back some grape bunches. They could not believe how big the grape bunches were that grew there, and they had uh, a couple guys a couple of the spies bring with, on a stick over their shoulders this huge bunch of grapes to say it is bountiful. This is a blessed place, and we have an opportunity here. And God is warning them before they go in there, don't become overconfident in material goods. Stay true in your faith. Stay true in your relationship with me. And that the, the church in Laodicea was struggling with this. And I think we could probably say generally the church in the Western world, the church in America probably struggles with this as well. That there is this tendency to rely on our, our wealth and material things and numbers and not always have as strong a faith as we can. And there is a very real danger in physical wealth and spiritual poverty. We need to realize where we're at and not put stock, just merely have uh, our faith as part of our portfolio that it would be insurance for eternity. This makes me think of that movie, um, spoilers ahead, the movie Titanic from, I think, 20 years or so ago. Spoiler, the boat sinks. Um, but... Uh, in Titanic, they hit that iceberg. You know, the, the, the binoculars have been missing, and they glance off this iceberg. There's a leak, and it's, the movie portrays this situation where the people, especially in first class, are slow to realize that they are in mortal danger. 
that they are overconfident in the ship. The phrase is that it's the unsinkable ship. How could it go wrong? We are safe in this material things. And through this, the, the lifeboats are put out only partially filled because people don't see a need to get off the boat. They are not recognizing the reality of their situation. And we need to wake up to our situation as the Western church, as a church, as ourselves. Always be clear-eyed about where we are, that we don't ever become confident in material wealth, that we don't become overconfident in material things to be self, um, self-focused, but stay true in our relationship and stay true to our faith and living out our faith in the ways that Jesus has called us to do. And so that's part of what we have here in the the church of Laodicea. This church has forgotten its faith and has gone far from Christ. So far that he is marginalized. And Jesus is more than on the edge of the church. He's literally outside the church. We have this image that he is on the outside of the church and knocking, knocking to wanting to come in. That's how far outside of the church, outside of their faith that he is. This is a beautiful invitation. This is a powerful invitation that Jesus is continuing to pursue us. This passage has sometimes been used for evangelism, for non-Christians to invite them to be a part of the church. And You could use that, Jesus invites us, but remember that this passage was originally used to speak to a church that really had nominal faith, where Christ was beyond the margins. He was literally outside. He had left the building, but he's pursuing us, and he wants to come in. And as we come in, he says he will dine with us and we with him. And that's incredibly close, incredibly intimate, It can be hard, so hard to get families to uh, sometimes come together when there's a disagreement. To share a meal can be a very challenging thing. Or even peoples on both sides of a disagreement, sometimes a technique to bring people together is to get them to share a meal together. And that can be a very tough thing, but when those are when it's possible to do, there is a closeness, there is an intimacy to break bread. There's a humility to sit down and eat together. It, it lowers our defenses somewhat. And even more so in the Middle East, remember it's, it's not necessarily um, how we think of sitting at our own dining room tables and chairs and tables. Very often they would recline at the table and there's a closeness there. And they would be leaning in and eating and partaking, and to lean back is to actually often lean into someone else. There's a closeness there. Jesus is knocking on the outside and saying he wants to come in and be a part of the church of Laodicea, to be the part of our church, be, the, be a part of our lives, and have an intimacy, and have a connection that we would be able to um, experience all that he has. And he closes with this image of being victorious. And really, this, this image of victory, I'll, I'll, I'll tease this. If you haven't ever read this, I encourage you to read Revelations 4 and 5, the next two chapters. If you've ever wondered about the, the, um, the throne room of heaven, 
that gives you a glimpse, an amazing glimpse. And, the, and that starts with here in this passage that even this church, the church that Jesus has nothing good to say about, they can join him if they transform, if they receive him, if they accept his invitation and connect with him. They're invited to experience his victory, to experience the opportunity to sit on Jesus' throne with him because Jesus is victorious by what he has done. And we, we literally, I've mentioned it once before, we have this reminder here that Jesus Christ is Nika, Nika, victorious, victory. Um, Christ is victorious by what he has done on the cross for us. He willingly laid down his life. We couldn't find a way on ourselves. We were like Laodicea. We, were, we, are, we would cause a repugnant reaction, a gag reflex, want to be spit out. But Jesus found a new way that we would have wholeness in who we are, that we would be able to have connections with God and to be connected with one another. And even creation itself groans for this connection and to be redeemed. And we have that redemption in Christ. We have a new way forward. And so we get to share in that. And that's how we can be winning, by hearing the call of Christ and to hear the knock of Christ. And so that really concludes our sermon series that we have here. We have heard about concerns uh, about persecution, but we can realize that we're not alone in facing persecution. We can realize that we're not alone in struggles against liars and even Satan himself, that we're not alone in being our own worst enemy or becoming complacent and really comfortable in our situation. Christ connects with us. He, he beckons us into a life, a full life. Jesus in the gospel said, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. And he invites us into that. Might we hear his calling, his beckoning in our lives all the more that he would come in, that we would have that connection with him today and the days as they unfold. Amen. Please join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you pursue us. Even when we find ourselves not worthy of your attention, even when we find ourselves repugnant in your presence. Lord, you pursue us. You care for us. Lord, help us to sense that love, that passion, that pursuit, that wooing of us, that we would come to connect with you, that we would live transformed lives, that amazingly, I, I don't know how this is possible other through you, that we can share in the victory, that we can live blessed lives in your timing. Lord, help us to hold fast to you more and more and reciprocate to what it is that you have done in our lives. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.